All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for being with me this morning. And like I always do every week, I wanna welcome all of you that might be here for the very first time. It's good to have you as part of the Digital Cathedral. And whether you stumbled onto us or were invited by a friend, I believe you're here by the grace and the goodness of God. So just hold on and let's, uh, let's learn some things this morning together. I'm glad you actually, if this is your first time or you invited by a friend, you came in at a good time because I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop the bus this morning. Every once in a while, I do a stop the bus message, but this time we're gonna stop the bus long enough that you can have lunch and do some shopping in the gift shop and come back and the bus ain't gonna leave. In other words, I'm gonna stop the bus for several weeks and I will tell you why in just a minute, but let me read a couple of scriptures to preempt what I wanna uh, break out for you this morning. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. And I want to read a verse from there, and I want to read a verse, a couple of verses from Paul. So stay with me this morning. I may um, teach on some things that you're familiar with, but that's the plan right now. That's the plan. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 says this. He said, Peter said, I will not be negligent to remind you, to remind you, to bring back to your remembrance to go over the same ground again. I will not be negligent to remind you of these things, though you know them, and you are established in the present truth. So Peter saw a lot of value in reiterating, in, in going back over some of the same material, some of the same ground uh, a number of times. And I've had people at the Digital Cathedral tell me that the way that they learn the best is by repetition. And by repetition, each time we, we do a little bit of repeat, they pick up just a little bit more. So there's value in it, and Peter saw it. And then uh, Paul said something pretty astounding over in Galatians chapter 1, as he's beginning to write to these Galatians that were having some serious problems uh, not long after Paul left. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul said this, now, Paul established the church at Galatia, so he's the, founding, he's the founding guy there. He said, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Any gospel that is not grace, I'm going to talk about grace this morning. Any gospel that is not grace is not the gospel that Paul taught. Paul was, Paul was the grace man. He said, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. There are some that trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Let me say this this morning, and I hadn't planned on doing this, believe me, I had not planned on doing this this year. I had mapped out pretty much where I wanted to go and the things that I wanted to teach on, the main, main subjects. I wanted to make sure we got through the gospel of John. I wanted to talk about the restoration of all things. I wanted to talk about the manifestation of the sons of God more and all that's involved there. I wanted to talk about the restoration of all things that I think we're in the middle of. But a couple of weeks ago, I felt this inner prompting really strong to go back and revisit some of the basics again that opened our eyes to a lot of truth. And I'm going to rest on what Peter said that I'm not going to be negligent in reminding you of of these things even though you are established in the present truth. There's always present truth. It's not new truth. It's present truth. It's truth that God is highlighting and bringing to the front. So some of you may be established in what the Father is doing today. I hope most of all of you are that are regulars here at the Digital Cathedral. But I want to go back over some things and I'm going to tell you why. There's a tendency once you're out of the religious box to go and explore a lot of different things that you were scared of in religion, and there's nothing wrong with that. Believe me, there's nothing wrong. I, I read wide. I read a lot of different things. I listen to a lot of different people. I explore. There's nothing wrong with doing that. There's nothing wrong with going what I call wide and deep. In other words, you, you're, you're encompassing maybe some ideas, some, some teachers that you, you were told not to. In churches now, people are telling, pastors tell them, stay away from Keithley over there. He's He's crazy. He's a heretic. There's no problem with going wide. No problem with going deep. But Paul's admonition to the Galatians, I think, is very timely. He said, I'm really concerned about you Galatians, that you are moving away from 
this gospel of grace that I brought to you. And Paul ran into this problem. Every church he established, <clears throat> generally he, he was battling um, what he called the Judaizers. Judaizers would come in behind Paul and say, yeah, Paul's teaching a, a, a form of truth, but you have to get circumcised. You need to do something in addition to what Paul is telling you by grace in order to be right in God's eyes. So these people then would go back under the law a little bit and Paul would follow up regardless of where it was, Galatians, the Galatians, the Ephesians, the, the Philippians, the Colossians, the Corinthians. Paul always was battling this thing that they started in grace but were moved off of grace. And I've seen some of that. I'm seeing more of it all the time. And it's because, it's because we, we go wide, we go deep, and we forget the very basics and the foundations that got us to where we are. So I'm just gonna remind you that we need to dance with the one that brung us, right? You need to dance with the one that brung you. Um, and I'm gonna bring you back to center. We must always remain Christocentric. Christ is the center of everything we do. And lately I've seen people that are moving away from being Christocentric. In fact, some of my, my friends that started with me in grace way back when, um, you know, in the early 2000s, 18, 20 years ago, are now beginning to doubt whether Jesus even existed as a person. We've, we've totally deconstructed everything. And so I just feel like at the Digital Cathedral because of what I'm seeing and some of the confusion that, hey, we just need to stop the bus for a few weeks. We need to go back, relay some foundation. Paul told us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, he said, there's been a mystery that has been uh, hidden for generations, but now is being revealed to you, Gentiles. And that mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So uh, everything we do at the Digital Cathedral, I wanna make sure it's Christocentric. I wanna make sure that we're all traveling in the same direction on some of the basics. Now there's a, there's a lot of room for for variation. Um, I don't think we all have to believe the same, to fellowship the same, but I believe what God is doing with us at the Digital Cathedral is He is developing a grace culture. He's teaching us how to live in the kingdom today. So there's a number of things that I want to accomplish, and I don't know how many weeks this is going to be. It's going to be more than one, two, three, four, or five, I, I, I feel. I feel we're going to do multiple weeks on this, and I may drop a, a teaching from the Gospel of John in here and there because it, it, John's very foundational, very fundamental, teaches some great things. So here's what I want to do over the next few weeks. And then we're going to get back to son, manifesting his sons. We're going to get back to restoration. We'll get back to deeper life studies. But I feel like the Lord was telling me, look, there's no sense in going farther and deeper if people are losing track of the foundation that was laid, if they're losing sight of the revelation of grace that brought them to where they're at. So you bear with me for just a little while. And like Peter, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be uh, reminding you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back over some tracks. So here's the goal of what I'm trying to do. I want us to come into agreement on what a grace community looks like. I feel like the Digital Cathedral is something bigger than Don Keithley by far. It's bigger than any individual that meets together on Sunday and Wednesday night. I feel that God, what God is doing is he's, he's assembling us as a community and individuals, and he's wanting us to make sure that we are at least fundamentally believing the same in our mission, our methods, our message. Uh, I think he wants us to tune in on our view of grace. It doesn't have to exactly be the same, and I'm gonna go over some of that this morning. And, but I think he wants us to learn how to become a community that reflects a grace culture. I believe our world's crying out for a grace culture. Many people aren't even in church anymore, and I understand that fully because what you're getting in church isn't feeding you. It's the same message every week with a different title. Uh, I've been there, done that for 50 years. I understand how churchianity operates. I understand religion to its fullest. I'm, I'm an expert on religion. I busted out of that, that box, out of that, out of that mold. But I think what he wants to do is to develop a community so that once again, people are drawn to the gospel, not repelled by the gospel. People that are repelled by the gospel never really heard the gospel. They've not heard the good news. They've heard religion, they've heard theology, they've heard what their denomination believes, but they've not really heard a grace gospel. So I, I'm gonna just call this, let's believe it. Let's believe it. And this is part one today of let's believe it. So. I want to unwind some things today. It's a great time to be alive. 
It's a great time to be part of the kingdom of God and what he's doing today. And what he's doing today, I think the prophet Isaiah saw it way back in, uh, in the Old Covenant in Isaiah chapter 60. In the first three verses, here's what he's saying to the digital cathedral. He's saying, arise and shine. Arise and shine, for your light is come and the glory of the Lord is upon you. And I want to make sure that that glory does not, does not diminish, that it's not darkened. Verse 2, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth. Man, I mean, this he could have written this for 2020. Darkness shall cover the whole earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise on you. And if this, this, if this isn't grace right here, I don't know what is. The Lord will arise on you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. So what, what the Father's doing with this is he's implanting a message that will draw people. We won't have to coerce them, won't have to argue with them, won't have to debate with them. There is a life within you that the Father is showing. Arise, shine, for your light has come. So let's begin this morning to just talk about some grace basics. Can I do that? Some grace basics. While you're there in 2 Peter, if you haven't moved off of 2 Peter, let me get back over there with you. In 2 Peter uh, chapter, chapter 1 and verse 2, Peter opens up his book by saying, Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. I want this morning, I want the understandings you have of grace, I want it to grow bigger. You may have what you feel is a good handle on grace. We have not hit the depths of it yet. It's going to take the ages to come, Paul said, for the Father to reveal his goodness and his love and his grace toward us in Christ Jesus. So we have not near uh, hit the depths of grace. So Paul Peter said, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now this word grace, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning. This is, this is my heart. This is my soul right here, this grace message. This is what changed my life, transformed me in the early 2000s. Uh, messed up my theology big time. This word grace has always been a word that's been used and discussed in the church. You know, half the churches in America are grace, called grace, Grace Baptist, Grace Lutheran, Grace Episcopalian, Grace Community Church. I mean, there's all kinds of handles on churches that use the word grace. I think the word grace, if I've counted correctly and don't hold me to this, I think it's used 156 times in the New Testament. In the last few years, however, it has worked its way to the forefront and it's created a move globally. It's created a momentum like we have never seen before since the days of the Apostle Paul when he broke out this message of grace. Paul is the one that introduced, I call it a radical hyper grace. It's a pure grace. And I call it that because Paul's message of grace had no conditions, no laws, no hoops. Um, it was a free gift. It was imputed to all of us. Paul said in Acts chapter 20, I'm going to try to read quite a few scriptures today because this is foundational, okay? This is foundational stuff to just go back and grab onto. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul said, in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, but none of these things move me or to account my, my life dear to myself so that I may finish the race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of grace. So Paul said, no matter what comes, what goes, I am not moving off the centrality of this message of grace. And that word grace has, has become very uh, prominent and this happens sometimes when something becomes very strong, when something becomes kind of um, used a lot in our culture, everybody jumps on the bandwagon. So we've seen this word grace, I think, exploited some, to some degree. Not, it, it's not the grace that Paul taught, not this conditioned, law-free grace. But today we're seeing people, um, new agers are picking up on grace. Wayne Dyer writes about grace. Uh, Eckhart Tolle writes about grace. The evangelical fundamentalists like John MacArthur and Paul Washer. God bless those men. I hope they get an understanding of what real grace is. 
I think John MacArthur's program on the radio is called Grace to You, something like that. Grace is in the title. He is no more a grace teacher than, than the man in the moon, but it's become a very prominent word today. Monks to Methodists are using the word grace. Eastern religions, motivational speakers are putting the word grace in. Um, life coaches, they're all using the word grace and they're writing about grace. Not long ago, even, even Deepak, uh, 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 Deepak, what is his last name? Copra, Deepak Copra, I, I noticed, and Oprah Winfrey were doing a 21-day meditation experience and it was called Manifesting Grace Through Gratitude. Now Deepak, God bless his heart, and Oprah Winfrey, God bless her heart, they are not grace teachers. Their, their concept of grace is totally different than what Paul taught. So with, with all of the, the momentum that this word grace is picking up, it's not hard to, um, it doesn't take a lot of insight to see that those that are using the word grace, there's a divergence of opinion, there's a divergence of thought of what grace really is. So everybody's not talking about the same thing. That's the point this morning. You can read John MacArthur's grace and my grace are not the same. Paul Washer's grace and um, um, Prince's grace is not the same. Or Andrew Womack's grace is not the same. The word grace is not only gaining momentum, it's, it's becoming very in vogue and everybody's putting a little bit different spin to make it applicable to what they're teaching, to what the point is they're trying to get across. So as we go deeper into this path, I think that we need to agree on some things. I think we need to believe some things that are at least in common. So I want you to know this, just know this, I'm still in my introduction, know this, how the subject of grace is packaged and delivered has a lot to do with the messenger that is seeing it and delivering it. <clears throat> For example, let's, let's even make this scriptural. Paul's view of grace was totally different than Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John essentially in all their writings were ministering to Jews. They were, they were helping Jews to make this crossover uh, from, from the law to grace. But Paul, Paul was sent to the Gentiles, so there was no, no coming out of law. We never were under the law as Gentiles. So Paul's grace had absolutely no stipulations, no laws, no rules, no regulations. Paul taught grace apart from works, faith apart from works. Whereas James would teach faith without works is dead. Can you see the difference there? Faith without works is dead, and faith apart from works is an exposing of an entirely different grace. So these, there is, these views are not necessarily wrong, but to some people, some people, a life of grace is simply accepting whatever life throws your way. It's just trusting God. That, to them, that's what grace is. To others, it's learning how to live a stringent lifestyle based on how they read scripture. In other words, it's, it empowers holiness, and it does empower holiness. Titus told us that that this message of grace will teach us how to live holy and righteous in this present age. These aren't wrong views, but I think they're partial views. To others, it's, it's an empowerment to be different than our cultural norms and to work diligently to change our society. So to some people, grace has a social implication. I lean that way uh, 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 to some level, to some degree. For some, it's, it's not being passive. It's not being bound by strict interpretations of scripture. They see, some people see themselves as grace revolutionaries, and I see myself on some level as that. They're committed to change the world by the power that we call grace. So there's, there's basically different views of what grace really is. So you can see how short-sighted it is to, to think that when we say grace, that everybody's gonna be thinking the same thing. And that's probably why I stopped the bus and I'm starting with this basic fundamental teaching on grace. Because here at the Digital Cathedral, I'm, I'm gonna bring a vein of grace in that I want us to agree on and I want us to believe it. All right? I want us to accept it as a community. Now you can branch off and add more to it. But when we minister to people, we need to know where their head is, what their perception of grace really is. Otherwise, we're not gonna be able to communicate to people. We're not going to be able to take people from where they're at to where we're trying to take them. Even in Christian circles, this view of grace varies differently. 
It, it, it's a common Christian biblical word with wide definitions. So it's really important to consider what this, what this word means. For example, to my evangelical brothers, my evangelical brothers would see grace like this. They would say that grace is God doing his part and then God folds his arms and waits for you to do your part. They would see grace as a two-way street. Yes, God gives grace, but, but grace is dependent on your affirmation. It's dependent on your response. And as you respond and make an affirmation toward God, then God releases grace to you. They would, they would believe my evangelical brothers would say, you need to take grace and you need to balance it with some rules. If you don't balance grace with rules, my evangelical brothers would say, people are gonna run, they're gonna run hog wild. You can take grace too far, my evangelical brothers would say. And so they counteract the freedom of grace with some restrictions. And I've heard this one I don't know how many times uh, from, from the church communities, the evangelical community, that grace is this. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. So it's, they, they would not see it the way that I see it. <clears throat> so is grace simply freedom from condemnation? Is it simply having all of your sins forgiven? Is grace a, a conduit of our spiritual life uh, to those that have had their spiritual eyes open? What, what is this grace? I think if we're going to build a grace culture, build a grace community, uh, we're going to have to come to some idea. We need to somewhat be all on the same page as to what grace is. So before I'm done this morning, I'm going to define it and then we'll, we'll run over it a little bit. And from there, you can, you can take it farther. Because like I said, I, we, getting an understanding of grace, how you see it, is a huge challenge. And it's not because grace is vague by any stretch of the imagination. It's because it's so large. Paul's message of grace was so inclusive, so large, that it's hard to put just a single definition on it. I like the way, I like the way Peter said this. In, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, I, I like the way that he breaks this out. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, Peter talks about this. He says, as each one has received a gift to minister one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I like that. I like putting that adjective on there. The manifold grace of God. I like the way that he explains it. When, when I read that, I immediately thought of, of a diamond. How when you look at a diamond, it has manifold dimensions to it. When you look at a diamond, you don't, you don't just see one thing. You see all the different cuts that are on that diamond. And that's the way it is with grace. It's easier to explain. It's, it's easier to, to describe than it is to explain it. But I know this. Grace has done two things in my life. It's brought a lot of peace. And it's brought a lot of motivation. Grace motivates me. Grace is why I do what I do. If I didn't, because of the peace that it's generated in my life, it motivates me. The Digital Cathedral came out of the motivation of grace when I left when I left the building, when I retired from 50 years of pastoring. I, I, didn't, I had too much energy, too much fire, too much passion and zeal inside to just, you know, retire. So the Lord had been dealing with me for, I don't know, two, three, four years about online ministry and reaching multitudes of people and, and, and nations around the world with the, with the message of grace. So it's, it, first of all, it brought peace, but a motivation. But whether, whether grace has motivated you or it has brought a, um, a lot of peace into your life, I know this, for me, this is for me, this is for, for Don Keithley. Grace is a divine influence. It is strictly from him. It has influenced me. And it has produced effortless change in my life. I've not tried to change. I spent years and years trying to change, trying to discipline myself, trying to um, keep the rules, the laws, the regulations, trying to read the Bible as an owner's manual to see what I should do, what I shouldn't do, try to keep all that. When I, when I hit grace, the changes became effortless. And they became effortless as I rested in Him. So for Don Keithley, 
Grace is a divine influence that has produced tremendous change, effortless change, and all I've done is rest in Him. I think we all have a hunger for grace on some level. It's this hunger for grace that the Father built into us that I think has torched this worldwide reformation that we're going through uh, around the world. Every day I hear from different people. There are pastors that are, are seeing this. Some are having difficulty um, taking it to their church and they're going to break out of it sooner or later because they got to be true to themselves. They're having difficulty because it's contrary to everything they've ever taught. It's contrary to what they've believed. It's disrupting their, their theological patterns that they were so comfortable with. So we, we need and we want that contentment. And this is what resonates. We need and we want that contentment and confidence that, bring, that grace brings to the relationship that we have with the Father. Contentment and confidence is what grace produces. And we hunger for that. We want, we want the relationship we have with our Father to, to be um, confident. We want to be able to move in boldness. We don't want to feel condemnation. We don't want to feel guilt. We want, to, we want contentment. We want to be able to rest in Him. And that can only come. The contentment and the confidence, I, I, I contend, can only come when you are fully, when you know that you're fully accepted by the Father with no strings attached. That He's taken you and He's accepted you just like you are. You, you, your behavior might not be the best. He's not looking for good behavior. He's looking, he's looking to grab on to your heart. He's looking to grab on to your inner man. So you can only have that contentment and that confidence when you know, when you're we're absolutely convinced that he's taken hold of you with no conditions. He's come at you with no conditions. So for the purpose of this series and in developing kind of a culture, a community that I want, that I, I feel that the digital theology Cathedral is to become, and we want to emphasize it at the, the uh, secret place on Wednesdays. I want to define grace for our culture, for our community like this. Grace is the unconditional love of God toward us, through which he has embraced us and brought us into his very life. Grace is the unconditional love of God. There's no conditions on it. There's no laws to it. There's no you must, you have to. God loves you, but it's unconditional love through which he has embraced us. He's, he's very inclusive. My daddy's inclusive. My father's very inclusive. He's embraced the whole of humanity and he has brought us into his very life. The life that you're enjoying today is his life. The life that you're enjoying today is the life that grace has, has brought to you. So grace looks like this. Grace looks like this when we begin to put boots on the ground to it. First of all, it's all, it's all God to you. It's not, I, I, I contend my evangelical brothers have got it messed up, jacked up. It's, grace is not a two-way street. It's not dependent on your response, your love, your, or any condition that your church has put on it. Grace is, grace is imputed. It's a free gift. He gives it to you irregardless of who you are, the way you act. His grace is free. That's what Paul, Paul taught throughout all of his, his writings. It was not attached to human effort. It was a pure, simple gift of God. So when we begin to live it out, here's how it looks. It means that you can live without fear of any kind. You don't have to be fearful because you you're not striving anymore to please God. You're not trying by your efforts to get in his good graces. You're not trying to influence him by your behavior. You don't have to fear. You're not going to stand before him one day and he's going to run a video of your whole life and expose your thoughts and your actions to the entire world. That's fear. Perfect love, which comes by grace, casts out that fear. It's, it's living with confidence that he is there at all times for us, that he always is there. You don't, have to, you don't have to pray the sky God down to where you are. You don't have to beg and plead for his presence to show up. You don't have to ask for the anointing. It's living with confidence that he's always at all times for us and with us. See, grace lives in the trenches. It lives in the trenches of life with us. In the, in the darkest reservoirs of humanity, grace is there. The presence of God is there. It encourages us when we're discouraged. 
It empowers us when we feel weak. It brings revelation. It brings light when we're in darkness. Grace guides us. Grace gets a hold of us. It, grace embraces us through the, through the unconditional love of the Father, and it brings us into His life, and it guides us into the fulfillment of that life that the Creator designed from the very start of it all. Individually, personally for each of us, the abundant life that Jesus said, I've come to give you, is what grace guides us into. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Man, grace sounds like a person, doesn't it? It's personal. It's relevant. It's always with us. In fact, grace is a person. His name's Jesus. It was grace that showed up to Paul on the Damascus Road. Grace walks with us on a daily basis as we walk through life and whatever we face, the grace of God, that unconditional love that embraces us and pulls us into his very life is always there. How big is this grace? How much grace do we actually have? Paul said that we have all received grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. We've all received grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. If you want an address on that, it's Ephesians 4, 7. How big you measure the gift of Christ shows how much grace that you're living in. My, my concept of this Christ that lives in us is growing exponentially daily. I, 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 it's it's mind-blowing, and I, I'm probably a little bit on the front of the curve on this, and it's I've had some questioning about how big the Christ is that is within me, and I'm, I'm, I've got to dial it back just a little bit, but I'm look, you can't make Christ too big. You cannot make him too awesome. And however you measure him is going to be the measure of grace that you lived in. Can I show you what it looks like when you when you see the fullness of his grace in operation? And you understand this grace does not come with hooks. It does not come with, with conditions. It doesn't come with laws and regulations and rules. Man, we burned out on that stuff. We so burned out. Here's how it looks. Let me show you a little bit of what you're going to see. I'll guarantee you that you're going to see this operational. And this is some stuff they never told you in church. I'll, I will assure you, your pastor never taught on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. If you went to an evangelical church. Now, I, I can't say that so confidently anymore because grace churches are popping up like popcorn. I'm hearing from grace guys all the time now. All right, here's, how, here's, here's the, the, the offer. Here's the extension of grace. Grace is not an offer. Strike that. It's an impartation. It's imputed to us. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. This is a faithful saying. And it's worthy of all acceptance. So this is something we can believe. This is how grace looks. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach. My gosh, you will suffer reproach. Because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men. 1 Timothy 4.9 He is the Savior of all men. Watch. Especially of those that believe but not exclusively of those that believe. Does it say it's exclusively? Is there value in believing? Absolutely. Believing is an effortless response to revelation. When he shows you, when revelation dawns on you, what you see, you can't unsee. Now, I've just read verse 10 to you, and you're never going to be able to unsee it. The operation of grace in our world, in our culture, that is gaining momentum is 1 Timothy 4.10. Now, some aren't ready to see that yet. Their, their Christ, the measure of the gift of Christ that they have measured, is not big enough for that yet. But it will get there because it grows. It's going to continue to grow. We haven't even scratched the surface on it yet. For to this end we labor and suffer reproach. You suffer reproach because religion doesn't like it. Religion, religion's security is around their theology, around their belief system. So when you rattle the cage, you're going to get pushback. So you might as well be ready for it. We suffer reproach because we trust. We trust in the living God. We rest in the living God who is the Savior of all men. 
John called him that. In two different places, John says that Jesus is the Savior of the world. So that's how big, that's how big grace is. Greek word for, for grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. It can mean favor, it can mean blessing. Uh, uh, it's sourced out by a loving father, his kindness, uh, who pours his goodness on us, pours his favor. Do you know why God pours his goodness and his favor on us? It's because that's his nature. That's just who he is. He can't pour anything on you except what he is. And he is kind, he's always good. Agape love with no conditions and grace is an expression of that love. Let me say that again because I don't want you to miss this. Agape is love with no conditions and grace is an expression of that love. Few teach it that way. Few teach grace and love with no conditions. The, the number's growing. It's growing rapidly. The reason that I embrace this message, when I began to teach this message, I saw right off, I saw lives change. I saw people change that I had pastored 25, 30 years, 35 years, and their lives never changed. They'd come every Sunday, they'd file in, file out, say amen, hear the message, but their life never really changed. All of a sudden this grace thing caught on with them and their life was transformed. The combination of love and grace are probably the two most powerful one-two punches in the entire universe. And here's what I found. I found that grace is the channel. Grace is the pipe. It's the hose through which unconditional love travels. Unconditional love will get to you through the pipe of grace. A revelation of pure radical grace will always lead you to the unfolding of agape love. That's how it worked in my life. First thing that I saw was grace. Man, when I got grace, it felt like a thousand pounds had been lifted off my shoulders. All of my performance evaporated. I could be me. I could be myself. I could be Don Keithley. I did not have to portray a picture of perfection or excellence. Does grace work you that way? Yeah, but it's an effortless change. This revelation of grace will always lead you to unconditional love. Grace took me to unconditional love. I began to get a revelation of the fatherhood of God and the unconditional love that the Father has. I found out that the more grace unfolds, the more that you see the unconditional love of the Father. This is, let me, let me give you a scripture that really exposes the unconditional love of God. I, I, I like this from Romans chapter 11, verse 25. I'm gonna read 25 to 32, because it shows his, his love and his grace on everybody, on everybody. If you want a good go-to passage, brother, this is it. Listen to this. Romans chapter 11, verse 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That means you can't give it back. That means that you, there's no refund on it. You can't, you can't return it. It's freely given. It's freely imputed. And he's not taking it back. He's not taking back your salvation. He gave it to you. We just read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10. He's the Savior of all men. He's already saved you. Now you need to awaken to that. And there's a lot of advantages to believing that when you get revelation of it. But it's irrevocable. I'm sorry. It's not the magic prayer that saved you. It wasn't your faith that saved you. It wasn't your going to church every week and tithing that saved you. It was freely given. It was freely imputed. And you can't give it back. Any gift from God is irrevocable. He is the giver. You cannot refuse it. You cannot say, sorry, I don't want it. It's too late. He's already given it. Do you hear that? Some of you that just rubbed the wrong way and some of you just clicked me off because you still think you can earn it or merit or deserve it some way, through some action, through some work. No, it's irrevocable. It's a gift. Now, he, he begins to talk to the Jews and the Gentiles. For as you were once disobedient to God, Gentiles, yet have now obtained mercy through their, the Jews' disobedience. The Jews could not keep the law. Uh, the Gentiles were disobedient. They never had a law. But th through mercy, through God showing mercy to the 
to the Jews, he's now extending mercy to the Gentiles. He says in verse 32, 31, even so these also have now been disobedient that through the mercy shown you that the Jews also have obtained mercy. So what has God done? <laughs> here's, here's, here's grace and love in full operation. For God has committed them all to disobedience. God looked at everybody and said, y'all bunch of disobedient children, whether you're Jews or Gentiles. He said, but I started working one to the other. And he said, the Jews were disobedient. So through that door of disobedience, I brought you Gentiles in. And through your disobedience, he said, now I've accepted the Gentiles. So he said, I've committed them all to disobedience. Watch, here's the grace and love. That I might have mercy on all. Man, that's grace and love in operation. Might have mercy on all all we haven't we haven't ex extended mercy at all what we've done is we stress god's judgment and wrath and you better watch out because if you're disobedient you're going to get his you're going to get his judgment and his wrath that's not what he said he said he counted everybody in disobedience that he could have mercy on everybody he's had mercy on all of us he hasn't given us what our disobedience merited he said i'm going to look beyond that now, over the last 1,500 years, this, this message of God being a judge and a harsh, a harsh taskmaster, and he can't look on sin, and he's separated from you, that has proven in the last 1,500 years to be ineffective in changing the lives of people. I don't know, very few people that it's changed, except for people that have been scared into change, except for those people. In, in, in fact, it worked just the opposite. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 5 and 6, he said it's the law it's those laws, those rules that actually fanned the flame of sin. But when you take those laws and rules away, all of a sudden, Romans 2, 4, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So what we've been trying to hammer people with, the judgment of God, the anger of God, the vindictiveness of God, to get them to repent has not worked well. How do you think it would look if we spent the next 1,500 years talking about the goodness of God? The greatness of God, the mercy of God, the unconditional love of God, the grace of God, all these things. I bet you, I bet you lunch, you never heard before you caught grace. I bet you never heard in your evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal, Baptist church, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that says it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. It's not weeping and wailing at an altar, telling God how sorry you are and you'll never do it again. That's not what repentance is. Biblical repentance is a change of mind. Metanoia, you look it up yourself. Check it out. That verse, the change that comes through the goodness of God is an inside-out change. When you teach, teach the judgment, when you preach the, 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 the punishment of God, what you're trying to do is to conform somebody's behavior on the inside to change them on the inside, and it never works. You cannot try to take behavior and beat people over the head with their disobedience and change their heart. God knew that. So God brings everybody into disobedience. He brings everybody into disobedience. He can have mercy. And then he tells Paul, he said, Paul, I want you to write this down. Let people know that it's my goodness, my love, my mercy, my grace. It's my unconditional love that has reached out and embraced all of humanity and has brought them into my very life. It's that thing that'll create a change of mind. What am I saying this morning? I'm saying God's desire is to capture your life. It's to capture your heart, not your behavior. God's desire is to capture your heart, not your behavior. So this agreed definition of grace that we've laid out, that grace is the unconditional love of God through which he has embraced us and brought us into his very life. The Father knows this. That when you, if you can believe it, and I'm asking you as part of the digital cathedral, let's believe that definition of grace. Now you can build on that. That's not a, def, that's not a definitive, encapsulate all definition. But I think if you can, if we can all believe this, that grace is the unconditional love of, love of God that embraces us, all of us, every person. I don't care about your behavior. Not interested in your actions right now because that'll change. It embraces us and brings us into the very life of God. The Father knows this. That, that, that'll capture your heart. The Father knows that if He has your heart, He has you. And that outward change, the behavior, the behaviors of people, 
It lacks the inherent power to change our heart, to bring interchange. Harping on people's behavior does not produce interchange. It doesn't make you a different person. If anything, it'll make you a hypocrite because you'll try to act one way around people. Church has developed tons of hypocrites because we've hammered on behavior. The gospel is not behavior modification. Trying to change lives by changing behavior has not proved effective in 1,500 years. Maybe it's time we change the message. Maybe it's time that what we're doing at the Digital Cathedral become a standard for all, all communities. And we're not the only one doing this by a long shot. What does your life look like when you live a life of grace? What does your life look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks exactly like Jesus. When you go through the Gospels, your life all of a sudden starts conforming to his life. The Christ that is in you is being conformed to the image of Christ. Totally. It's a process. It's a work. He lives as you. And he animates your behavior. It's him living as you. It's no longer you who live. It's Christ that lives in you. You've been crucified with Christ. You died your death with Christ. You ascended with him out of the resurrection. If you died with him, scripture says you also resurrected with him. Peter said that we were born again. 1 Peter 1, 3. We were born again, begotten again, and in a gale through the resurrection. The resurrection is what brought life to all men. What we believe in our hearts is important. In fact, next week I want to talk about that. What you believe is going to dictate what, the way that you live. Our belief system drives our life. And maybe, you know, we need to make some adjustments in our belief system. All behavior, every, every action of man is just an expression of the beliefs that he's assembled through his life internally. The way that he, the way that he perceives internally is going to demonstrate itself externally. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. You can live with confidence. And you can lead other people to that confidence. We grow confident. We grow confident. We grow bold as a lion when we see that our full when we see our full acceptance and our right standing with God is through grace. It's through that unconditional love that has embraced us and brought us into His life. When you see that you are embraced and brought into His life, I'm telling you something. You're going to get bold. You're going to get strong. You will come to the throne of grace boldly. Now, the next step, and I, this is what I want to spend a couple, three weeks on. We're just going back to foundations, which is good. I've, I, I've been reinvigorated just teaching this. Well, here's what we want to do. If you, can, if you can believe it, if you can believe it about grace, unconditional love of God, embracing your life, embracing you, bringing you, you into his life, then I want to, that's going to be the foundation. But there's going to be four or five pillars that we want to build on that foundation that grace is going to take us to. So grace is a, is a developmental process that we can, we can look to that's going to build some pillars in our life that's going to make us stable and strong. So I, I want you to, to believe in these pillars that we're going to talk about for the next couple, three weeks. Fair enough? All right. So today, let's all agree. Let's all agree. Let's all believe that grace has no pump, no push, no pull. No activity, no law, no rules, no regulations. It just is. In fact, Philippians 2.13 is a snapshot of grace. Listen to this. It is God who works in you. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Only things you need in life is to know what his will is and then do it. And he's the one that gives you the will and gives you the ability to do the will. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with my, my, my natural ability, my confidence, my zeal. Now, grace will bring, will bring those and will fan those, but they will do it from an inside to an outside basis. All right? So it is God that's working in you this morning. Take, take cheer, man. Be happy. It's God that's doing the work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Don't worry about missing God's will. You're not going to miss it. He's the one that plants it in there. He's the one that gives you the desire. Then he backs and comes along and says, I'm going to empower you now to keep that will. Grace is the unconditional love of God through which he has embraced us and brought us into his life. This is the doorway, brother. This is the doorway to that good and perfect gift of God, to that abundant life that Jesus promised us. Grace is all about, all about, you being zeroed out and him being in fullness. So I hope your eyes are open to this this morning.
that grace is all about about you know your being yours and nobody can take it from you. That's what I was trying to say. This grace is nobody can take it away from you. It's it's impossible to remove it. It's all yours. So let's believe it. Let's live it. Let's manifest it. And let's take it one step at a time. All right. I'll see you next Sunday morning. We're going to talk about your beliefs create your life. And I want you to see that very clearly. Don't forget, join me Wednesday night, 7 o'clock at the, at the secret place. And we'll go back over some of this and maybe just take it down a level or two. So I hope you've picked some things up this morning. Even you old gracers. This is good for you to hear. This builds the, this builds the foundation. This builds the strength. And God's opened my eyes to some things that I've never seen before as I prepared and taught this message, this teaching today. Hope has been valuable to you. Leave a comment. Make sure you hit the like button. Subscribe if you've not subscribed. And remember, we gather every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. at the Digital Cathedral. This is a good series to bring your friends to. This would be a good teaching this morning to send in messenger to your to your friend or text it to them after I get it uh, up over on Facebook if you want to. Fair enough? All right, God bless you. See you next time here at the Digital Cathedral. Have a wonderful week.